Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Detroit Lions Breakdown Podcast. I'm Joe Kenya. With me, as always, is Eric Schlitt from PrideofDetroit.com. Eric, Lions uh, 28-13 losers to the Chicago Bears on Sunday. So, you know, the good chunk of the fan base is is in panic mode, full panic mode. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not everybody, but there's, there's a lot of concern out there. Sure. Um, maybe there should be maybe there shouldn't be there's 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 some things that don't look so great we'll talk about them in a few minutes here we got the denver broncos coming in on saturday night nice to have a, another night game although it kind of messes with your normal football watching schedule yeah you know like this is a game where there's a lot of fun storylines uh you have two teams that are uh you know in the playoff hunt the uh the lions are Two games uh, have a two-game lead uh, in the uh, NFC North, and the the Broncos are just a game back in the AFC West. And, and they're one uh, of like eleven teams that are seven and six in the AFC. Right, that, that's an estimate. That's not the actual number of seven. <laughs> and teams. No, but it's 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 a lot. It's like I think it's it's like at least six, if not. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot. Right. Um, so they're 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 in it. Every game's going to be important for them. So they're going to be motivated. Um, Lions are obviously motivated. There are 16 playoff clinching scenarios for the Lions, but all of them involve the Lions having to get a win. So well, if the Lions get the win. Half of them. I thought the rest of them with the Lions tied. Oh, yeah. No, no. You're right. Yeah. It's seven, seven if they win, uh, nine right. if they tie. Yeah. So, I mean, but if they lose, then it they can't clinch. But um, not this week anyway, but we're getting to the point where we're talking about cl- playoff clinching scenarios and there's a lot of them and it it's, makes it fun. And um, then you add in the fact that it's like mentor versus mentee with the coaching staff. You've got um, four or five, you know, you've got two, two, three coaches plus a couple players, like four or five people in total that have like a long histories together, like Alex Anzalone and, uh, and um, Aaron Glenn and all the all have ties to Sean Payton in one way or another. And of course, the Dan Campbell uh, as well has been with, you know, been with uh, Sean Payton for something like eight years uh, over his career, his professional career, both as a player and coach. And so he's he's a big influence on what Dan does. And if you look at the two teams, they they operate in a similar way. They have uh, similar ideologies, and what you're seeing with the with the Broncos uh, this year is what you saw the Lions last year. Uh, they're a team that was very bad at the beginning of the year, found their footing, and have gone on a bit of a run. And uh, they've beaten some good teams. They've gotten they've gotten some good bounces. They've created some some of their own bounces, and, and they've uh, they've won six of their last seven. So. They're they're doing well for themselves. Uh, so, lots of fun storylines, and so it makes sense to flex them not only to Saturday but in the prime time because there's lots to talk about, lots of fun things uh, that will draw in a lot of uh, national attention, and uh, it's nice to be part of stuff like that. You know, it, lines have been in the spotlight uh, a lot this year, and. Um, you know, now they just have to correct some of their mistakes and, you know, they've got, they got a really good chance to put themselves in a real good position heading into the playoffs. 
Broncos are one of six AFC teams with the seven and six record that they're all tied for the last two playoff spots with the Steelers, Colts, Texans, Bengals, and Bills. All right. First things first, the transactions for the week. Uh, Quentin Bohanna was poached by the Titans off the practice squad and the Lions re-signed defensive tackle Chris Smith to the practice squad. I know Bohanna was out of elevations, was it? And they Correct. apparently Correct. weren't interested in moving him to the 53-man roster. Yeah, uh, that's essentially what Campbell said was he looked at what they had on the roster currently then and and the fact that he was out of elevations and they had the cho- they had the choice to um pay him and keep him or stick with what they had and they decided to stick with what they had and so you end up um letting Bohana walk and then just bringing in Smith who's a guy who's familiar with the system because he was with the Lions during training camp he was originally part of their uh initial practice squad and so uh it shouldn't take him you know he should be up to speed probably already at this point so it's just a it's a minor transaction uh, on the grand scheme of things, uh, but it's one that has a lot of people's attention because Bohana was a guy who was was elevated three times, and he was, he was elevated, playing. yeah, playing above guys like Isaiah Bugs, Levi Onzerike, and uh, and uh, Broderick Martin, and so and certainly were affected at that position due to the Aleem McNeil injury, right, and so. The thing is, is Bohana is, he's kind of pigeonholed into a specific role because of his size and because of his play style. And so he's essentially like this plugger run stuffer uh, in the middle, whereas all the other guys are more position flexible. And I think that appeals to the Lions and, and what they want to do more. And that's why they ended up going in that direction taking the guys that can play multiple spots rather than a guy who's, who's a nose tackle only. Now it's interesting because like there's a a large section of the fan base that's, you know, really upset that he's gone and that's fine. I get it because he was playing well at the same time. There's another large section of the fan base. That's mad. The lions weren't playing Isaiah bugs. Well, well now they're playing bugs. So like, you can, I, I feel like right now people are uncomfortable with the way the Lions have been playing. And so they're I'm just, sure. we're, we're looking at, we're looking at everything and trying to, and being overly critical uh, of lots of things. So it was, you know, shaking your fist at not playing bugs. And then you, now you play bugs and then it's shaking your fist at losing Bohana. And it's, I think everybody just, every, the Lions fans need a win this weekend more than maybe the Lions themselves do. Well, yeah, I mean, it, this is a great psychological experiment out there for somebody that should be watching this, that trying to get their doctor <laughs> going like, here's a fan base that has all this trauma. You know, it's like, yeah. it's usually they're doing with the, this with real people in their real lives and stuff that's actually happened to them. But this is like, this is a football team and how many ways over the last, you know, 60 years and, last 20 years for sure with how poor they've been have experienced a lot of trauma in that time so any any cracks in the armor of this team are, are going to be magnified by the fan base and who yeah. knows maybe rightfully yeah. so maybe not rightfully so we'll find out in four weeks mm-hmm. um yeah so it's very interesting it, it, yeah it, it is everybody's wildly impacted by these you know this this poor string and definitely with the two losses in the last three games 
CJ Gardner Johnson could be close to returning. Yeah, I think Cryptic that's messages out there. Well, and and he said uh, he posted that he was medically cleared, and Dan Campbell confirmed that he's medically cleared. So Let's get him out there then. That's that's what it's looking like. It's looking like they're going to probably start the clock on him next week, and um, if they do. They've, they'll have up to three weeks to get him back. Uh, if they if they if he's as far along as they think he is and he's medically cleared, it's just a matter of getting him into football shape. And the way that he seems to have been working, that, that might not take that long. So um, it sure looks like Gardner Johnson's going to be coming back. Uh, James Houston looks like he's going to be coming back. I think last update on that was late December, early January. And then they're expecting Aleem McNeil to also uh, come back when his IR is up. And so that could make it, bring him back for week 18. So it's entirely possible in week 18, this defense has added Gardner Johnson, Houston, and Aleem McNeil. I think that would go a long, that could go a long way to, to easing some of the concerns that the fan base has uh, about the defense. All right. Going to the injured list, quarterback Hendon Hooker, ACL injury, still in the evaluation clock. This has been a story. Is he going to be brought on the 53-man roster for down the stretch? So he's now practiced for three full weeks, and he's at the point in the evaluation clock where they don't have any more practices coming. So now he just has to kind of wait it out. They have to make a decision on him before they start practicing next week, Wednesday. So they're going to go into this game. They're going to see how they play. They're going to see where their weaknesses are, if they might need to make changes on the roster. They're going to look at the fact that Gardner Johnson, Houston, and McNeil all might be coming back. Uh, Dan Campbell even mentioned that Jason Cabinda uh, could be a guy who they bring back. And if you're bringing those three or four guys back, is there room to keep a developmental third quarterback on the roster basically for four weeks worth of practice? Or do you just leave him on the NFI and then he's ineligible to practice for the remainder of the season? But then once you're out of the season, you know, it's, he falls into the the general categories again. And so, they're trying to figure out the balance of the roster and what exactly they're going to do with him. The original plan was to bring him back and get him on the roster. I think now they're starting to have second thoughts because, you know, they've had to add a guy like Trevor Nowoski. They've had to add a guy like Kendall uh, Vildor, who were guys that teams tried to poach that they had to elevate in order to, to keep them. And so, you add a couple of those guys, and now you're running low on spots. Bruce Irvin's used one elevation, which means he only has two left. If Bruce Irvin is a guy that you're looking about keep thinking about keeping around, you gotta you might you may have to consider making room for him too. So like it's a lot of uh there's a lot of things going on right now that you know I think make this decision a lot more cloudy than what we had originally expected. Amon Ross St. Brown play quarterback in high school. He probably did. I mean, that's typically what happens, right? The best player. I know he played receiver for the, for the, like when he went to like his, 
his big USC. schools. Yeah, no, but even before then, he was like he was a big time because he played like at one of those like a couple big schools, right? So he was yeah, a yeah, receiver. Right. So he was a receiver, I know at least exclusively his junior and senior seasons. I don't know if he played quarterback before that though. Oh, that's right. They still have Blau. Okay. All right. Never mind. Because because it'd be like after what happened to San Francisco last year, mm-hmm. you want especially if the Lions make the playoffs, like you want three quarterbacks in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. you know, going into that playoff game in case something wild happens. I guess if they fall down to Blau, though, they're not winning the game anyway. <laughs> well, and, and, the, and the, remember the trick is you have to have that third quarterback on the 53 man roster. And Blau's on the practice. Court. Right. So they'd have to like elevate him for the game or something like that in order to make him the third quarter. And so he, it gets a little tricky. You could do that if you keep Hendon, like Hendon could fill that role, plus filling the developmental aspect of getting a chance to practice. Um, at the same time, you just got to say, all right, well, where can we lose a guy? Where where are they deep enough where they think they can lose a guy that maybe they can get back on their practice squad? Center Frank Ragnow, toe, back, and knee. Limited Tuesday, Wednesday, full practice Thursday. Questionable for the game Saturday. So the before the practice on Thursday, the the storyline was depending on how he does will determine whether or not he plays in the game. And then he ends up getting a full practice. That's a pretty good indicator that he's going to be available. So three practices, even though two of them were limited, three practices are a really good sign that he could be back uh, if he is. Uh, it's could go a long way to helping this uh, offensive line, you know, get back on track. Offensive tackle, Taylor Decker, back injury. Didn't practice Tuesday, limited Wednesday, full on Thursday, also listed as questionable. So, so I should mention that Tuesday was a walkthrough. And so they were estimations. So they estimated that they didn't think Decker would have practiced if it was a regular practice. But he was right back on the practice field when they were on the practice field on on Wednesday. So even though he technically didn't practice or, you know, was listed as not practicing, he never really missed anything. So, again, I think he's in a spot where it's, hey, I got I got in work on each of the days I was eligible, uh, including a full practice today. So I think he's also in a spot where even though he has a questionable designation, he's probably going to play. So. If both those guys play, that's their full starting offensive line back in action. Decker, Jackson, Ragnow, Glasgow, and Sewell. Uh, is, it's That's your best combination that they have, and, and it, we could see them on Saturday. Wide receiver Josh Reynolds' back injury added on Wednesday due to the, to the injury report. He was limited, limited on Thursday, also listed as questionable. So he's a little bit um, – this is a little bit more unknown because he wasn't a guy that they were expecting to be out or limited. And then he was, and he never did get a full practice in. So it's possible he's able to go. And if he is, he might be restricted in, in some of his snaps. Like they might limit those. Uh, it's also possible he does. He's not able to go at all. And if that's the case, uh, they just lean back on their depth at receiver a little bit more. Defensive tackle Benito Jones, neck injury, limited Tuesday, Wednesday, full practice Thursday, questionable. So like Decker and Ragnow, he ends up getting going from limited to full. 
and that questionable designation might just be a formality. He's expected to uh, to start as well. All right, that's it for the injury report. Let's talk a little bit about the Bears game. Uh, Lions had a 13-10 lead going into the second half. Started to look like they were getting things together there late in the first half. And third quarter, third quarter is not the charm for the Lions. Uh, yeah. Offense totally disappears for the whole second half. There was turnover mm-hmm. barrage, everything. Yeah, it was. They were they were very disjointed. They couldn't find their rhythm. Everything they were trying to do wasn't working. Um, remember the bears were coming off a bye, and they had a very good game plan. Their game plan, uh, was executed very well. They had been preparing for the lions, uh, for two weeks and, and it showed they, they were ready. They were athletic. They knew what they were expecting the lions to do. And the lions kind of fell into that trap. Um, this was a team that, you know, we've talked about it before. They they match up well uh, against the Lions. They have a couple of pieces that are really big uh, problems for the Lions. But overall, the Lions are, are are a more talented team. But if you're even if you're the more talented team, you turn the ball over three times, it it you're not going to win more often than not, right? And so that's been the case really the last four games. And and while they're two and two over the last four games. You know, they've given up 10 turnovers over that time. And, and that is a, uh, that's not a way to stay, you know, uh, not a way to stay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not getting, it's, it's hard to get wins when you, when you just hand the ball over. Um, I mean, well, look, look at the Thursday night game that that's happening on, uh, on Amazon prime, right? The Chargers turned the ball over three times in 20 minutes and they're, they're down 28, nothing uh almost immediately and that game is is over before it even gets to the half so turnovers can be lethal and uh and the lions have been victims of that and to at their own it's their own fault too it's not like they've just been unlucky they've they've made mistakes and that is priority one going into uh the the last month of the season clean up clean up those turnovers uh, running the ball was pretty effective. Twenty-four carries, one hundred forty yards. But uh, I hate these, this new term that they use all the time. Lions weren't on schedule, right? They were mm-hmm. always second and ten, third and ten. They kept putting, you know, even though they would have some good. Uh, obviously, they'd get some yards on the ground, and they would move the ball a little bit. But then most of the time, they found themselves in a lot of bad positions where they weren't gaining any yards on first down or very minimal yards on first down or second down, putting themselves in, you know, really tough spots going yep. to the third down. Yep. I think that, saying, oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that fourth down, uh, fourth and one where they, where they, they decided to run, right. That was, that was a predictable play. And uh, I think everybody kind of oh, knew that yeah. was coming. Oh. Um, they, they, the lions absolutely got the look that they wanted. And I think the Bears purposely gave them that look because they knew how to beat it. And so they showed the Lions the look they wanted. Lions took the bait, and then they got uh, they got beat on that play pretty bad. So Lions, it was it, 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 it hopefully will serve as a, as a big wake up call. Lions also have a problem. This offense, Lions have a problem at long snapper. You think so? Is it, yeah, was it a long... we, this, is, this isn't the first bad snap he had on that point after touchdown. Was it? Um, 
No, was it the I'm snap or the snap. hold? Or oh, you said oh, okay. I think he, he he scrambled to and Fox scrambled to make a good hold. Mm-hmm. But this isn't McQuaid's first bad snap mm. as the long snap. That's just me. Maybe okay. everybody disagrees with me, but there's something well, there with them. I can tell you that Daly is eligible to return. I just don't think he's healthy enough. You know what I mean? Well, they have um, another long snapper in the organization. Can't he unretire? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think there might be some paperwork involved, but um, but yeah, I think if uh, if old Don uh, wanted to come back, it'd be a process. I think everyone would welcome that, of course. And uh, but yeah, that that shit may have sailed. All right, defensively biggest problem you know they did a better job of uh stopping the run of fields you know like yeah because they did a poor job in the first bear game they did just a middling job here in this uh this this bear game um Mm -hmm. but the bigger problem was the inability to create pressure on fields when he was dropping back to pass you know generating Mm -hmm. any type of sacks or anything yeah uh on both sides really like their their inability to generate pressure their inability to stop pressure from the bears on the offensive like those those were bad game for the offensive line terrible game for the offensive line um and then i think tackling was an issue on defense as well a bunch of missed tackles on fields um those those missed tackles turned into really big plays and extended drives and points eventually so a lot of technical stuff, right? Um, just inefficiency and, and bad bad decision-making. All right. You're going to disagree with this completely. I already know it. Okay. okay. I read an article in the Detroit Free Press today. Mm. Hutchinson doesn't really think he played a bad game. He, he made a couple of mistakes, he said. Mm-hmm. But really, he didn't play a bad game at all. So I'm concerned with that. That uh, I mean, maybe that's what you're supposed to say. A part of me is like, well, I did cost the team in a couple of big spots, and I've got to do better than that. Well, I. But he's not okay. exactly saying that. So what does no, he really no. believe? Or but know? but he did after the game. He was he was very emotional following the game, and he basically said that 14 points were were on him and him alone because of poor decision making and he said that it was his fault they lost the game because he gave up 14 points and that's not true but no but no but but but, but if you okay so he jumped off sides which gave fields the free play right so so that's the first part he's blaming jerry jacobs isn't running you know right off the snap like he would have right and then if he crashes down instead of staying high um and then because because i think jerry was thinking if he was going to be over the top and if he crashed instead uh which then left kirby on the other side of the field in an impossible task to get over and then the other one was um hutchinson called a stunt and levi couldn't get outside and field rushed it in and so again hutchinson took blame for that so following the game he was very upset um uh in the locker room and he he took a lot of responsibility for that now since then the coaches have very much come to his defense the coaches have explained the fact that the defensive linemen and really 
most uh, most linemen in general can call audibles depending on on the read that they have in front of them. Hutchinson right. is is one of those guys that is given uh, the the privilege of being able to call an adjustment. So if Hutchinson gets a read that he likes, he can call. He called for a, a stunt, and it's up to Levi, who's the inside tackle, to get outside and then hit the contain while Hutchinson goes in. The problem with that was one, the Bears handled the stunt really well, but two, that's a really tough ask for of Levi in that situation. And really Hutch should know better than to call a stunt in that situation because Levi it's almost it's impossible for Levi to get out and get contained on that. I mean he had to he has to engage the guard, get past the tackle, and then get outside of the tackle to stop one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the game. And that's an that's a near impossible task to do. And so I get I don't fault him for for calling uh, an audible. I think the decision to call that audible in that situation was a big mistake. Um, and, and he has taken responsibility for that. And the coaches have agreed that that was a big mistake, but they've also acknowledged the fact that he's one of several guys that, that they allow to, uh, to make those decisions, uh, in game. And that's just part of football. That's not anything new. That's not him ad libbing. Uh, I know a lot of people were concerned about that. Um, but this is just, this is stuff they do all the time. It just, he just happened to be making he was in the the he made a really bad call that cost the team points and he and then look it's it's all discipline stuff right it's it's like mental it's it, it, he made two really bad mental mistakes that led to 14 points and 14 point you know when you lose by 15 that's a that's a big pill to swallow for him especially when he's supposed to be a pillar of the of the defense right to be he's able to make the number one guy in the defense right and you make two critical mistakes like that it, it's you know it, it that's that's a big reason why they lost all right shrugging off this one moving on to the broncos on saturday lions favored by four points um it is a nfl network game yeah but it will be locally on fox so okay, if you are yeah so all all of saturday's games are on nfl network but if you are in the local Detroit market, it will be on Fox. So, like, if you're in Grand Rapids, you're not going to get it. You're going to have to have NFL Network. But if you're in the Detroit area, you'll get the Fox. You can get it on Fox if you don't have NFL Network. Kevin Harlan, Trent Green, Melanie Collins on the call. Kevin Harlan's one of my favorites. The excellent basketball announcer, for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, referees, John Hussey, nine years as an NFL ref, 22 years in the NFL averaging 13.92 penalty calls per game, almost two above the league average of 12.08. Lions penalized a lot last week. In general, right? Like if you look at if you look at how like how penalties break down with with the Lions, they they get penalties that draw a lot of yards, right? It's not just that they take penalties it's that the penalties they take are big ones. So like a lot of holding calls uh, uh, from the offensive line that'll cost you 10 yards, or they've gotten some tripping calls on the offensive line, and those are big ones, right? Um, on defense, they don't draw a lot of penalties, and they take a lot of penalties on defense as well. 
again and it ends up being of the big variety because they're like pass interference down the field or holdings and and on defense it seems to be at the wrong time in addition to 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 big yardage so for the lions they're going to need to this is another area where they're going to need to be on their you know uh, on their P's and Q's here yeah i mean because like He's gonna throw flag. Like you, you're gonna recognize when you if you don't know John, if you don't know Hussey, you'll you'll recognize him when you see him. You'll be like, oh, I've seen that guy. He's been around in the league for uh, for a long time. And um, but he'll 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 throw flags. He's um, it's just you. That's just the draw you get sometimes. Um, on the flip side, like with Denver, um, Denver they they don't take a lot of penalties. Uh, and they draw a lot of penalties. So again, the arrow points towards the Lions uh, not being favored in this area and Denver being favored in the area. And so the Lions will really have to be conscious of of what they do because Denver is a pretty disciplined team. Yeah, hopefully a raucous Ford Field crowd might affect that a little bit, but probably yeah. not. <laughs> well, I, I think it, I, it, they, they do come into play. They really do, uh, in my opinion. And so, but it's going to be a player too. It's not going to be like. Not that you know, old Bears game where they made them false start or delay a game like 11 times on Monday Night I, Football years back. I'm sure the Broncos be, will be on a silent count and they that, won't I'd, really have that many issues. I'd be there. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that, though. I'd love to see it. Yeah, it'd be cool. DVOA numbers, Lions, holding strong, number seven overall, seventh offensively, 13th throwing the ball, fourth in the run game on defense, sinking to 12th, 19th against the pass, seventh against the run, special teams hovering around the middle at 17th, Broncos overall, 18, offensively at 15 overall, Russell Wilson in the crew, 16th in the passing game, 10 rushing the ball on defense, DVOA of 30. 20th against the pass, 31st against the run. Special teams, strong point of the team, fourth overall. So they're seven and six coming in the game, winning over the Chargers 24-7. You pointed out not as impressive if you're uh, paying attention to the Chargers-Raiders game right now, although the Chargers are back in it. It's only 49-7 to at this point, the <laughs> meaningless partial score. And more importantly, Broncos won six of the last seven. They started, what did they start? Like one in five or whatever. They've really rallied. Yeah. Yeah. One in five, including getting uh, dismantled by Miami 70 to 20 at one point. Um, that was like, after that, when they were talking about Sean Payton, like, is he going to make, is he going to stick around? You know what I mean? And uh, the team has really rallied from there. Um, it's really a tale of two halves of the season. The first six games were rough. The last seven games have been very positive. Um, lots of things have gone right. They've almost looked completely different. And, and, and for these DVOA numbers for the Broncos, it, it's hard to, it's hard to really take them at their value because it's been such a drastic change from one half of the season to the other. And they were so far behind in the first half of the season that no matter how good they've been playing, it's hard to make it up. It's like, remember, remember when you were in school and you, uh, you get a zero on a paper 
and then to try and bring that Maybe zero up. That. Okay, well, look, my teachers always <laughs> said the teachers the teachers always said, look, if you do if you try the work, you get a fifty, and it's easier to bring it up than if you don't do the work and and you have to bring it up from zero because trying to bring that all the way up is and that's where that's where the Broncos are at. They they were basically dead last in the in the NFL. And, and defense, and they've been trying to slowly drag their numbers up. So, for example, in weeks one through five, they were dead last in DVOA defense. But then in the middle, they got up into the top 10, and over the last five weeks, they've been the sixth best defense in the NFL. Yet, despite being the current sixth best defense in DVOA, their defense is still ranked 30th because they were so, they were just that bad over the first five games. And so instead of like just like Alliance of 2022, I think (laughs) you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Right. So what you need to look for is you need to look for where were they bad and are they still bad? And there's two areas that really stand out um, as areas that they're struggling now. And we're struggling before that. And the fortunate thing for Detroit is that these two areas that they struggle in are two areas that Detroit is really good in. The first one is their uh, run defense. They've been consistently poor most of the season. Uh, Their run defense is 31st. Uh, Like you just said, DVOA run defense is 31st. But when you look at even their like raw numbers, they're 32nd. They've, They've been giving up explosive runs. They just they give up an average of about like 145 points a game, and when they've when they've looked at like their most recent opponents, those things have stayed true, right? Like they've played well over the last four weeks against the run, but they've still given up a lot of yards to bad rushing offenses. So, for example, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, last game against the Chargers, they held the Chargers underneath their average of 96 yards, but the Chargers are the 21st, 25th rush defense. They held the Texans under uh, slightly under their average, but the Texans are 28th defense. The Browns were, again, slightly under their average, but they're 20th. The Vikings ex- almost doubled their average, and they're the 30th. And like when you look back beyond that, they've kind of been – that's how it's been. Like they've been kind of, they've been either giving up way more yardage than what a team averages, or they've been holding them to about right. What they average while the lions they're rushing at almost 140 yards a game. They're fourth in DVOA. And so like what you end up having is this is an area where the Lions should be able to run the ball on the ground um, because the, the Broncos at best are average in, in that area. The second area that the Broncos have struggled and consistently struggled throughout the season is to with tight ends. They don't cover tight ends very well. Um, they've given up over 800 yards to tight ends over 13 games. They average around 70 yards to tight ends a week, and they average over seven and a half catches to tight ends a week as well. And so that's like 30th in DVOA. And I think last week it was like 32nd, but like they just, so they just give up a ton of, of, uh, of options to Laporta or to, to, to tight ends, which is really good news for Laporta. This is a 
I don't, I don't want to say he can have a Saints-like game because the Saints game, I think, was kind of an anomaly. But a seven-catch, 70-yard game is easily within range for him, and it wouldn't be surprising if he pushed it more. In fact, he should be a guy that I think the Lions should feature because they have not covered – because of their, their style of play, they just don't cover the, the tight end that well, and I think that's an area the Lions can take advantage. So – the Lions want to run the ball. They should be able to on this defense. The Lions have an elite tight end. They should be able to feature him because the 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 Broncos struggle to cover him. And so those are two areas that I think the Lions can be really productive uh and and hopefully should be able to control the game in those in those areas. All right. So let's dig into the Broncos depth chart. Sean Payton, the head coach. Does he call the plays? It's hard to believe the guy he's got as his offensive coordinator is calling the plays. Uh, I'm, geez, I've watched, I watched three of their games and I'm going to tell you, I didn't even pay attention to um, if he was the one with the play sheet or not. Um, you know yeah, his who off- his offensive coordinator is. Yeah, yeah, offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, former Lions. Uh, he was... A poor offensive coordinator. Even with the Chargers, he wasn't. Any yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't get the appeal of Joe Lombardi. Most well known for having one of Stafford's least productive years because he throws the uh, he throws the ball short a lot. Calls a lot of plays that call for the ball short. Uh, and then he went to the Chargers and he did the exact same thing to Justin Herbert. And he Justin Herbert had one of his worst statistical years with Lombardi as his OC as well. So, you know, Lombardi started with Sean Payton in the Saints and then left for Detroit and then went to L.A. and now he's back with Sean Payton again. Uh, the playbook is really Sean Payton's. Um, you still see, you, you still see like influences of Lombardi, right? Like you still see like their overall offensive philosophy is to sh- throw short to intermediate. Um, but, you also see the deep shot mixed in more. And I think that's more of the Sean Payton influence as opposed to Lombardi. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if he, which one actually calls the plays. I, I actually didn't pay attention to that part, but I can tell you, I see more Sean Payton on the field than Lombardi, even though there are some influences there. All right. Broncos quarterback is Russell Wilson. Everybody who's a football fan who's listening is Pretty well acquainted with Russ, one-time Super Bowl champ, one-time huge mistake mistake made at the end of a Super Bowl. He could have two <laughs> of them. Excellent quarterback throughout his career. Had a rough season last year, and during this Broncos resurgence, he's been playing a lot better. Jared Stidham's his backup. Yeah, so Russ is not as athletic and mobile as he once was. He will still use his mobility, though, to get himself free in the pocket, and he will still use it to gain uh, rushing yards in in specific situations. He's not like a Justin Fields, though, where he's going to like break a, a rush for like 30 yards or anything like that. But it's more like, I can get you six yards if I escape the pocket, and he'll get it. He slides a lot <laughs> because he's he's older and, does, and he doesn't recover well when he gets hit. Um, and so you just you don't see him like tucking the ball and running on design plays or anything like that. Uh, but like I said, he is mobile. The big thing for Russ recently has been his accuracy. His accuracy has been uh, very good. And um, they design a lot of plays 
for him so that he can be good with his accuracy. Uh, early in the season, he was taking deep shots and they weren't connecting. He started connecting on some of those deep shots uh, of late. So like they're not very good on third down. Um, and, and a lot of that is because they don't take a lot of risks on early downs. They use Matt. They use a lot of uh, extra blockers on early downs. They show a lot of throw a lot of short uh, routes. They throw a lot of uh, they they'll run the ball on like you know outside zones and they'll gain some yardage. But they end up putting a, a lot of the time they'll put themselves in like third and medium, third and long, and then they haven't really been able to connect on you know third down conversions. And so they only convert on like a third of their conversions. I think their conversion rates just under 37%. Uh, it's one of the, you know, it's in the bottom third of the league. So if you can get them, if you can get Russ, you know, kind of stalled or limit him on his first couple of, of downs, they're not very good on third down. And, and, and that could be a key factor in, in limiting him. The fact that he's starting to use his legs a little bit more is helping with their efficiency. The fact that he's hitting on some of those deep shots is helping with their efficiency in those areas. Um, but on a, if if it's not the run and if it's not that deep ball, um, more often than not, he's not um, he's not real great on third downs. And I think that's something the Lions really need to focus on: beating those blocks on, on those extra blockers and trying to just stunt what they can do on the first on the early downs and then when it goes to third down they typically don't um keep the extra blockers in they put their they want extra pass catchers out there so they they'll throw five guys out and um in my opinion that leaves them susceptible to the blitz and one of the things you've seen from defenses of late is that they don't blitz russ when he has the extra protection on those early downs but they will blitz him on third down when the protection goes away and he wants more athletes out there. And that's when you get home and you get them off the field. So um, ideally we can see, we'd see more targeted uh, blitzing from Aaron Glenn this week. Cause the, the Broncos have a, have a pattern here that I think can be taken advantage of. Running back group, Javante Williams, Samaje P Ryan, Jaleel McLaughlin buried on the depth chart. Sex Lion, Dwayne Washington. The fullback is Michael Burton. Uh, Javante Williams is yeah, somewhat solid. He's all right. Michael Burton, also former Lion, right? Wasn't he right. a Lion yep. back in the I day? Think, yep, well, drafted. He was I drafted, so. right? Yeah, I think he was drafted yeah, by the Lions. He, yeah, I don't know if he played with the Lions, though. Oh, oh I, I thought I'd remember that. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm mixing him up with somebody else in my mind. Um, oh, you're right. For 2015, 2016. Played... Uh, mm-hmm. 31 games for the Lions. There you go. Um, that's good. I'm, I, I, I'm glad I'm not losing my, my, my memory just no, yet. Nice job. Um, they, uh, I would say that this is an average group of running backs that collectively perform well, right? I, I think Javante Williams is good, but he's, he's a, maybe, uh, he's maybe slightly above average, um, but he, or to average, I don't think he's elite. Uh, P Ryan is a unique back in that he's a power back yet. He's also their best third down option because he's real good in pass pro and he has real good hands. Uh, McLaughlin is their McLaughlin is their um, is kind of their dynamic third option, 
where he can do kind of like some scat things. And, um, you know, him and P. Ryan see about 20% of the snaps. Javante sees about 60% of the snaps. It's a true three-back committee. And um, as a group, they're they're successful. And I think you add in the fact that Russ can run a little bit too. And and that's one of the reasons why they're, they, they, they put up the yards that they do. I, there's not really a guy that scares you though. You know, like the, like there's not a Gibbs on their, on their, uh, on their roster where you're like, uh Oh, that guy's going to, you know, if he gets a hold of it, he's going to take it to the house type of thing. It's, it's a good collection of backs, but no, no real superstars. Only if combined, including Russell Wilson to score five touchdowns on the ground, not a lot of touchdowns on the ground out of that group. Yeah, they get a lot of yards, but they're like I think they're twenty eighth in offensive touchdowns or something like that. Yeah, they only they average less than a half of one a game or something. Yeah, like you said, only five. So, um, but they do get about four point three rushing yards a game, which is uh, which is pretty solid. Wide receiver group: Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Will Jordan Humphrey, Marvin Mims Jr., and Brandon Johnson. Uh, so Mims was their first pick this year because they didn't have a first rounder, uh, part of the Russ deal. And um, he is still not being utilized a ton. He's about a third of the offensive snaps. He's he's can be electric. Um, he's their uh, return man as well. But he uh, he's not like an every down type of guy. He sees less snaps than JMO uh, for, for point of reference. Uh, Jerry Judy is actually, in my opinion, I really like Jerry Judy as a player, uh, but for whatever reason, he's never really found his footing in, in Denver. Um, he flashes at times, but is, is more often than not, not the impact guy that I think they thought he would be when they drafted him in, in 2020. Sutton is their stud. Um, Sutton is a guy who's a problem and I think will be a problem for the Lions. He's got, I think, 10 touchdowns on the year. A couple of them have been really deep bombs of late. Uh, He'll be a guy that will be the deep threat that the Lions will have to account for. And I don't know if they have a great uh, guy that can necessarily just man him up. And so they're going to have to be creative in making sure that there's a safety around to, to get over-the-top coverage when uh, Russell decides to take shots because lately they've been connecting with – he's been connecting with Sutton on those big plays. Yeah, you nailed it. Ten touchdown receptions on the season for Sutton. 53 catches, 699 yards. The tight end group led by Adam Trotman, Chris Manhurts, Nate Atkins, Greg Dulcich is on IR. None of these guys is very dangerous. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think any of them really are. Um, Trotman is unique enough in the fact that sometimes they'll try and put him under center and like third or fourth in shorts to try and do like that tush push thing um, with him taking the snap, and um, it hasn't been very successful. So I'm not overly concerned with him. And then out as a uh, as a pass catcher, he's he's I think seen better days. Offensive line left to right, Garrett Bowles, Ben Powers, Lloyd Cushenberry, Quinn Minerts, and Mike McGlinchey. So 
Bowles is having, I think you could argue, his best season as a pro. Uh, Powers is an average to slightly above average guard. Cushionberry is a really good center. Uh, Menares is a really good guard. And McGlinchey was one of their, uh, both Powers and McGlinchey were off-season acquisitions. McGlinchey was better in San Francisco than I think he is here in Denver. But he's still a guy that they run behind a ton. Um, so much so that it wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more Aiden versus McGlinchey because they run to that right side behind him like over 50% of the time when they run. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Lions use Aiden a lot on that side to try and disrupt uh, what he does. So uh, Meneris was sick, uh, but he practiced this week and, you know, it wasn't a problem. I, I expect him to play. So I expect them to have their full offensive line. Um, as a, as a unit, they get good push, uh, in the run game. Uh, but they do a lot of double teaming in pass pro, which is really, I think what make has made them, uh, successful. They end up keeping an extra tight end in or keeping a back or both. And then they'll just they'll double team your best rushers. So I fully expect. I wonder who Aiden, they're going to be double teaming. Yeah, exactly. So I fully expect like a lot of attention to be paid towards Aiden. So I know Aiden is motivated to have a bounce back game. At the same time, the Lions are going to have to get creative in trying to cut him loose because this offensive line they'll double your top two rushers. Much less, much less if you only have one. So, uh, it, it the lines going to have to get creative. This is another place where I advocate for blitzing. And I think this is a situation where uh, blitzing is appropriate. And with them, you know, focusing so much on those double teams and and pass pro, that an extra inside rusher or or blitzing a, a defensive back. You can catch those guys off guard and, you know, you can peel off one of the blo extra blockers, get a one-on-one, -on -one, and then maybe take advantage. So it's a, it's, a, it's a good offensive line, though, overall. All right. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, Vance Joseph-led defense. Uh, they run a 3-4 on the front line. You got Jonathan Harris, DJ Jones, and Zach Allen. Also see a bit of Mike Purcell. And to a lesser extent, Matt Hennigson and Elijah Garcia. Um, yeah, so a lot of times they will run this three-man front, and then they'll have their two outside uh, linebackers that will be pass rushing. And they'll use the three-man quite a bit because they will try and stop the run. Uh, but when they're... <laughs> Like I said, they're not always successful. And because teams will spread, try and spread them out and go three wide, you'll end up seeing them uh, lose one of these guys in order to use two interior defensive linemen and keep their two pass rushers uh, on the field as well that it will allow them to shift into sub packages. So when they do that, DJ Jones is their is their defensive or is their nose tackle. So he's the guy that they tend to try and keep out there. And then Zach Allen is their, I think, their best interior defensive lineman. And so he'll be out there a ton as well. So it's Jonathan Harris that ends up finding the bench in those situations. Um, but typically they do lean on those three when they have them all out there. 
Um, I do think DJ Jones can be run on. Um, he's not as powerful as a lot of nose tackles in the league. He's played better of late and he's, uh, he's, he's improved his game, but I think he's vulnerable. I also think Harris is vulnerable to be run on Zach Allen. It's a little bit harder. Linebacker core, Jonathan Cooper with Alex Singleton, Josie Jewell in the middle, Baron Browning on the opposite side. Uh, so Browning will, and, and Nick Benito will, they tend to all operate that one side. Uh, Browning was hurt for a while and Benito uh, was in the game. Uh, Benito's actually their sack leader. He has seven sacks on the season. Uh, but Benito is injured, and he's already been ruled out. So their sack leader it won't play in this game. Uh, Browning is uh, back and healthy, and so he'll be in that lineup. And uh, like you said, Cooper's on the other side. They're just okay. Like, they're not elite pass rushers by any stretch, right? Um, they're okay, in my opinion. They're, they're average in, in their sacks and getting sacks. Um, they don't generate a lot of, uh, I mean, they, 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 they don't generate a lot of pressure just with those guys, right? What they end up doing to generate pressure is they blitz and they blitz a lot. Um, I'm trying to find my number here because I had the number written down. Um, they blitz about, 32% of the time, which is mm. uh, seventh, seventh most in the NFL. And when they blitz, a lot of times they'll blitz um, their linebackers. So Singleton will blitz quite a bit, but they'll also blitz their defensive backs. Um, PJ Locke, we'll get to him in a minute, will blitz a ton. So will McMillan from his nickel spot. And often they will blitz when they blitz they won't just blitz one guy they blitz two so what you end up having is your two interior defensive linemen trying to get pressure then your two outside linebackers trying to get pressure and then you blitz a, a linebacker and then you blitz a defensive back and all of a sudden you've got six guys blitzing which makes you go one-on-one -on -one and makes a running back pick up that extra guy so that excessive you know, blitz rate almost, you know, once every three downs, they're, they're bringing the heat. Uh, they're really good at it too. And the lines will absolutely have to have a plan for this. Um, Singleton. I don't think, I think he's playing very well. Um, he's, uh, he's statistically, I think having a down year. And I think if you look at PFF, he's probably having a down year. But in my opinion, when you watch him play, he's around the ball a ton. He's, like I said, a guy that they blitz. He's a guy that they'll drop into coverage. And um, he, he's he's all over the place. Josie Jewell is a developing player that I think has a lot of upside. And then Drew Sanders was their second rookie that they drafted. He's the linebacker out of Arkansas. He was the one, he was the guy who played edge rusher at Alabama for a couple of years and then transferred to Arkansas and then switched to off the ball. So kind of like the Derek Barnes route to linebacker. And um, there's, they are starting to use Drew Sanders in both of those roles, kind of like how the Lions use Derek Barnes in both of those roles. Um, and with no Nick Benito, 
it'll be interesting to see if Sanders ends up getting more run on the outside uh, because both Jewel and Singleton are, are healthy. So you can count on those guys to be your two interior ones. They might end up leaning on Sanders a little bit more for uh, outside linebacker depth. All right. Defensive backfield, starting with the corners, Patrick Sertan, Fabian Moreau, Jaquan McMillan, Damari Mathis, Traymond Smith, and Riley Moss. Those are your corners. So Moreau, I think, is an average cornerback, uh, but Sertan is one of the best in the league, and McMillan is a guy who has been absolutely on fire of late. Um, undrafted kid in, uh, in 2022. Uh, they gave the opportunity for him to start, um, like, I want to say like six or eight weeks ago. And since he started, he's been impactful in pretty much every game. He's been a big catalyst for, for them having the success that they've had. Uh, he's been good in coverage. He's been uh, a guy that they can blitz. Uh, he's been a good run support. Lots of uh, lots of things that they've done with McMillan. So tough matchup in the secondary. Um, a lot of times Moreau ends up being the guy that gets um, you know taken advantage of, I guess, or the, the guy that the, the offenses tend to pick on. Uh, Sertan is capable of shadowing, and he will shadow at times. And he will travel in the slot. Like if you watch the Chargers game last week, you you watched him uh, shadow Keenan Allen at times. But he only shadows when they're in man. When they uh, a lot of, and they spend a lot of time in zone. And because they're in zone a lot, um, you don't get him matched up. So I know the the ideology is if he travels, he'll travel and he'll just follow St. Brown. And I do think that that's a valid concern. At the same time, they play so much zone that you're going to get St. Brown freed up a lot as well. So um, Sertan is, like I said, he's the, he's one of the better cornerbacks in the league, and he's someone that you don't want to throw towards if you don't have to. Uh, you find Moreau if you can, and uh, you try and find those holes in the zone because they run kind of like a Fangio shell, right, which we've seen a couple of times this season. Uh, and the Lions know how to beat it. It's basically just you got to attack the middle of the field over the linebackers, but in front of the safeties or in those kind of that what's, you know, John Gruden called the turkey hole. Um, and a lot of teams tend to find that that's that uh, deeper hole down the sideline a little bit more free. It, that tends to be open a little bit more. Uh, it's not an area that golf goes to all the time, but he has shown he can hit those holes. He tends to go over the middle more. And um, I think that's where, Sam Laporta can be really impactful. All right, safety group. The aforementioned P.J. Locke and Justin Simmons. Uh, the starters, J.L. Skinner and Delarin Turner, yell off the bench. Uh, and Kareem Jackson was a starter ahead of P.J. Locke, but he has been suspended for the second time this season because he can't stop hitting people in the head. Um, like, it's, I don't know if you, like, if you saw his hits, like two hits that were just like, as blatant of targeting hits as, as you've seen, right. yep. uh, they were, they just, I don't understand why they don't, why, like at one point, Justin Simmons was like arguing that it like shouldn't have like it, it that it's it, that they were legal hits. And it's, it's baffling to me that it's, it, these were very clear and obvious uh, hits to the head. 
And uh, J- Kareem Jackson absolutely should have been suspended for both of those incident incidents. Um, but fortunately for the Broncos, PJ Locke's been great. Uh, he's been actually so good that when Kareem Jackson comes back, I wonder if, if PJ Locke might actually stay in the starting role. Justin Simmons, who is a guy who's been historically one of the better safeties in the league, he's having a bit of a, an average year, a bit of a down year. And so he's not quite as elite as he's been in the past. Uh, and he ends up being a guy that they will leave uh, at, the, at, at, at like free safety because they'll bring PJ Locke or what used to be Kareem Jackson down into the box and they'll blitz PJ Locke. They'll use him in run support. They'll keep him at the linebacker level. And that single high look with Simmons has exposed him a little bit. And when you have a guy that, you know, like, uh, like Jameson who can stretch those, those Fangio shells, um, uh, there's opportunities, right? So this is kind of the same storybook we've talked about before. When we see these shells is you can use JMO to run the shells, to stretch them. And then that opens up the behind the linebacker in front of the safeties area for guys like Sam Laporta and, and uh, Amon Ra. All right, switching over to special teams. Place kicker's longtime Saints place kicker, Will Lutz, one-time pro bowler, just about having his best season this year. That might be yeah. aided by playing his home games at my, at, at a mile high, not at mile high. Mm-hmm. Um, the punter's Riley Dixon, another veteran. Uh, no pro bowls for Dixon, but eh, fairly decent punter. Wouldn't say terrible, wouldn't say great. Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's played better um, than normal as well. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Marvin Mims, the kickoff and punt return man. He's a dangerous return man. He's got very good numbers on the year as far as bringing the ball back. Yeah. He's, he's an electric, uh, player. Like, you know, you, he was the feature guy at at Oklahoma. Right. And so, um, that's a, he's a guy who can, he's got a lot of wiggle to him and, and, and that translates to, to the return game including one kickoff return for a touchdown, 99-yarder. Long snappers, Mitchell Fraboni. I don't know. We don't know anything about him. I do, I do not. If he, if he didn't go to Michigan or Michigan State, we probably don't won't know anything about him. <laughs> just to be honest. You know, one thing I should point out uh, that I, I neglected to was that this past uh, offseason, and, and, and I don't remember, it might have been the offseason before with one of these guys, but their edge rushers to start the season were going to be Randy Gregory and Frank Clark. Uh, but they've traded Randy Gregory and cut Frank Clark since. Um, and that's why, because Culture they, they moves. yeah. And, and like, well, because both those guys are not good guys, right? Uh, they're really not. Uh, Gregory had a, a multi-year contract. I think it was, be- he was signed before Peyton, um, Clark was a guy they I think they thought they could get production out of and they couldn't. Clark's back in Seattle. Gregory's over with the 49ers. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why their edge rushers are kind of just average, right? They were expecting to have a deeper group with some other veterans, uh, and, and those veterans didn't pan out. All right. That's it for the Broncos roster. Um I don't know. I think, did I get it last week? Did you get it last week? Oh, I believe you did. I will double check to be sure. Uh, But I believe you got the win. 
Uh, yeah, you took the the lower score for Detroit, and yeah. that ended up getting you uh, the win. And you have uh, you're you're within a game now. Uh, we have the same record as the Broncos. Uh, we are I have seven, <laughs> and you have six. All right. And uh, it makes this game pivotal. This game, yeah. I mean, like it, uh, you know, just like with these with these two teams, it's a, it's a game that, that both of us need in order to, uh, to make the stretch run here. When you look at this game you go over it on paper, the way you've been talking about it, it does, it seems like it's a leaning towards lion victory, but so of the last handful of games and they look terrible in a couple of them and, you know, not so great in some others. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't want to pick against them. I got to take the Broncos, though, this one. Okay. 24-21. Don't want to do it. Hope I'm wrong. Uh, all right. Maybe Number all the problems 20... haven't been solved yet. Well, that's the thing. Like, when you look at this team, when you look at this team, by the way, I'm checking the uh, the the line, and the line's up to four and a half now. Oh. I, I I should pause on this for a second. And actually, I, this is an interesting thing. I know we're in the middle of, of making our picks, but the the opening line was was three, and then it jumped to four, and then for a brief moment earlier in in for one morning, I think it was Wednesday, it jumped up to five and a half, and then at like four hours later, it, it dropped back down to four again, and so now it's back up to four and a half. These just Lions fans pushing the I, money. With, with, what's going on here? I don't know. I don't, that's what that's what I think people are wondering is what is going, what exactly is going on here? Because the Vegas line is going in the opposite direction of what you would expect, right? right. And so it does raise some some red flags for me, and it does make me wonder. Uh, if there's something on it, because Vegas, you know, they, they tend to be right more often than not, right? Um, for me, when we look at this game, the 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 Broncos are the best defense in the league at creating turnovers. Lions are struggling at turnovers. The Broncos are, um finding a way to take deep shots and having success of late. That's a pro that's been a problem for Detroit. Um, their matchups are good in some areas, but there's other areas where they very much favor. Uh, they very much favor Denver. And so there's a lot of these little areas where you're like, if Detroit's going to win, they've got to cut their penalties down. They've got to cut their turnovers down. They've got to be able to stop. Uh, allowing pressure and they've got to find a way to create um, some more pressure. These are like big obstacles to overcome. Right. And so to say they can do all four or five of those things, it's a lot, it's a lot to ask. And I think it's totally reasonable to, to lean towards Denver in this game because there's a lot of on paper advantages that point to Denver. At the same time, from a philosophical standpoint, the Lions want to run the ball on you, and you can do that on Denver. The Lions like to feature 
their guys over the middle and they have the options. I think there's not a coaching staff in the league that understands what Sean Payton wants to do better than Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn. I think this has been a game that's been circled on Dan Campbell's calendar since the, since it was it came out last April. I think it's something he's been preparing for. I expect them to have some tricks up their sleeves. Uh, I expect them to have some things set up. I expect them to be motivated to come back and right some of the wrongs. If they don't make any changes that they need to, they're going to lose. But if they make a little bit of progress and they, they keep the turnovers at even or keep the penalties at even, they're a more talented team, in my opinion. And so, national spotlight at home. You need a bounce back game. You have a you have a couple areas that you can really take advantage of, and it's a calendar circle game for Dan Campbell. I'm gonna give it to the Lions in this one. I think the Lions are gonna win this one 27-24. Well, certainly hope you're right. And you do mention that, you know, being at home, being on national television, you know, the last time they did that, they laid an egg, right? Yep. Thanksgiving Day. So hopefully they atone for it. They're all very aware of what what happened last week against the Bears, what happened three weeks ago against the the Packers. You know, hopefully they turned this ship around. And they were able to last year. And they even they even had a, a a twist in that Carolina game that they were able to come back from. So we know they're capable of it. They just have to go out and do it. Uh yeah, it's – no, I was going to say, we talked about um, this before we started recording. Um, this is a league where you can look at these stats all you want and you can look at these trends all you want, but every game is different and how these teams approach these games are different and you can have things go wildly different than what your expectations are, Right. Last week, since we were talking about the Thursday night game, last week the Raiders didn't score a single point against the Vikings. And this week, I don't know what the what's the score right now. Uh, like 63-14. 63 points. Yep. Zero points one week, 63 points the next. Like, and this is a Raiders team that is not very good at all, right? right? And so wild things can happen. Good teams find a way to win. And nine times this year, Detroit has been one of those good teams. And so, yes, there's hiccups. But I think the focus turns up the last month of the season. This is an opportunity for them to prove that uh, they're still a very capable and dangerous team. Ratings-wise, Lions Fan 2020 updated their review, calling us the real deal Lions pod. So that was very nice. Very very nice review. We appreciate that. Uh, boosted up a review on, on the Apple Podcast. Boosted up a couple of reviews over on Spotify. Doing pretty good. Thank you, everybody, for reviewing us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I know there's a lot of people that are nervous, um, and oh, I yeah. get it. I get it. I get it, and I understand. There's like I feel that same. I, I feel it as I well. Mean, like, well, you can like you can see 
there were games earlier in the season that you couldn't see a, a way that the Lions would lose it, right? Mm-hmm. And now there's a very clear path to them potentially not winning this game. At the same time, I think people are are very quickly dismissing everything else that the Lions have done throughout the season, and they're too quick to dismiss the things that are working. So, you know, Gibbs is Gibbs is having a terrific year. Laporte is having a terrific terrific year. Those two rookies are going to be vital in this game, and I think what they've done shows you that they can do it. Priority one, though, you got to play better with. You got to have better turnover results than what you've had because if you don't have that, I don't care how good the rest of your team is, uh, you're probably not going to win. Right. Hopefully, I mean, and that's a big deal. Like if they they solve that, if they clean that up right away, they, yeah, things swing way into their favor. I think, and we'll see. And yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the key, (laughs) honestly, honestly, like if you, if you, if you can clean that up, it opens up a whole new avenue and, and, and turnovers can be fluky and, and they're, they're in the midst of a, of a bad streak, but those streaks can come to a close immediately and without warning. And, uh, that's 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 my prediction. I'm 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 saying against the team that creates the most turnovers in the NFL, that's the week that the Lions end their turnover streak. Well, I mean that's you know, like we were talking about with these wacky games and you know, the Raiders scoring zero points and now all of a sudden have sixty three on the board. Like crazy things happen every week, you know. And there is rhyme and reason to it. Like certain teams see something during the week and they finally game plan for it right, and you know certain teams quit. Certain teams don't show up that day or for whatever reason you know bad flight or you know, who knows you know mm-hmm. so we'll see that's it there's really nothing to drone on about let's wait till saturday and hope the lions pull out a big win at home and until next time let's go lions